Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another edition of the Michael Deacon program reporting to you live from Hell Central California, deep inside of a boiler room. That's right, that is where you'll find me. First time listeners out there, it's a pleasure to meet you. This show is much better than a fatal accident. Joining me tonight, my guest is none other than Mr. Richard Serrett. Now, without further ado, let's bring him right in. Richard, how are you? Hey, Michael, I'm well, thanks. I'm glad you're here, and I wasted no time with that intro. I'm sorry if I took too much time there. No worries, no worries. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for being here yet again, and we have so much to cover here. And we usually do, but before we get into that, how was your Halloween? Pretty quiet, actually. Uh, we we decorated, we... Um... My boys are, uh, this is the first year, they're not trick-or-treating. They're, right. They're 14, they've moved on, so that chapter is over, uh, which I'll miss. We had a lot of good good times and, and good memories, but uh, just because of the uh, the fear, I guess, of uh, COVID, there were virtually no trick-or-treaters out on the streets. So uh, my wife and I went for a, a brief walk in the uh, the cold, damp weather, and um yeah, that was that was pretty much it. We 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 saw some uh, some movie, some scary movies on uh, Blu-ray, and I think we enjoyed a bowl of popcorn, and that was about it. How about yours? It was pretty much the same, except I have no kids, and nobody was trick or treating. That is definitely a thing of the past, and that makes me kind of sad. Um, by the way, how are your kids handling the whole COVID situation? You know, I think. They're doing uh, extremely well. I'm, I'm proud of them. Uh, you know, kids are pretty resilient. And we have tried to maintain a degree of normalcy here. Um, prior to their, they just started high school this year. Prior to that, they were homeschooled for four years. 
So they're kind of used to uh, home life. Right. They kind of like it. They, they relish it, actually. So they're going to, to school uh, two days a week in the morning. Um, other than that, it's pretty much steady as she goes. We, um, uh, we They continue to play tennis and... Uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, they, they do enjoy their friends on, uh, on Zoom and, and, uh, they play video games and so forth. But yeah, they're managing quite well. I'm proud of them. Very good. Very good. And everything's going well for you, I assume, with the wife. Terrific. No, everything's wonderful. Thank you. I'm glad everything's going well. Now, as we continue along, I did want to go over your background here. For those newer listeners at, at home who might not be familiar with you, so from my understanding, you enrolled in which college was it again? The Centennial, right? Yes, I went to Centennial College for radio and television back in uh, 1989, graduated in 92. And at that time, which bands were you listening to, Richard? Which bands? Yeah, what kind of music were you oh, listening to? You know, I guess um, I, I've always been kind of a classic rock guy. So, uh, you know, Dylan, The Doors, and The Dead, the three Ds, as we used to call them, but the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, you name it. Uh, the 80s were kind of a difficult uh, period for me musically because – uh, there was a lot of um, the British pop was very popular. A lot of electronic uh, music synthesizers, synthesizers, and that sort of thing. And uh, my headspace, I was still kind of stuck in the uh, in the sixties. I see. So, so no bands of that era caught your attention. I'm trying to think. Um, Nothing stands out. I guess maybe you know. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, okay. although they'd been around late seventies, there were a few bands I think that kind of captured that that uh, classic rock uh, vibe, if you will. Of course, Aerosmith was um, still very active in the eighties, uh, so there were a few bands, but nothing nothing that were um, sort of coming out of the eighties specifically. You know the, uh, the some of the bands uh, like the Psychedelic Furs or uh, Joy Division. I'm trying to think of some of the names. I used to hear these bands. You know, someone would have them uh, playing at parties and so forth. But they, it it never appealed to me that that music. Now, when I when I hear it now, uh, it, it, there's a bit of a, a nostalgia just because it takes me back to a particular time. But I, I had no affinity for the musical groups. Understood. And in the banner that I used for our interview here people can see that in the chat room and it's it's of you richard and you look like a young bon jovi <laughs> great hair oh thank you well uh it's i still have my hair thank god tuck the knock wood there you um, go yeah i guess i guess just good genes i have all my hair and uh and no gray so far right and of course after you graduated you started working for CFRB AM 1010. That's right. A 50,000 watt uh, AM station that first went on the air in 1927. It's a real legacy station. It has a remarkable history. And uh, I, I was very fortunate. I worked there sort of 
I want to say the the tail end of the glory days of AM radio. Uh, we had an incredible lineup in those days. Wally Crowder was the morning man. He was, I believe, and still is in the Guinness Book of World Records, longest serving morning man in uh, in radio history. Uh, we had uh, just an incredible lineup of great broadcasters, and I had the benefit of learning from from all of them. I was a I was a producer at that time, and then. In the late 90s, um, the program director asked me to do my own show on Sunday nights. And I guess it was 2000, actually, February 2000. And that's that's when my uh, my broadcasting career really took off. Yeah, definitely. That, that experience really shaped the rest of your career, no doubt. And I didn't realize how popular that radio station truly was until just recently when I was doing some research on you, Richard. I, I was blown away. CFRB was, um, I mean, in Toronto, that everybody, your, my mother, my my grandparents uh, listened to CFRB. It was appointment tuning. Uh, now, keep in mind, you know, there was at the, in the glory days of CFRB, say the 1940s, 50s, 60s, there was before FM radio, before cable television, it was um, – it was the destination to go for news and information and entertainment. And, you know, there wasn't the competition uh, that there is today by any stretch. But um, uh, it, one of the probably, I would say, one of the top dozen stations in North America in terms of its influence and um, uh, um, its, its, its uh, share, market share. Uh, even when I worked there in the uh, the nineties, it was it was a ten share, which is almost unthinkable for an AM station today. No doubt, no doubt. Most people, if they're curious, look into that radio station CFRB AM ten ten. And again, at this point, that's when you, I believe, also started working as a professor. Correct around that time. Uh, that came Slowly after. actually quite Shortly a bit after later. After. Yeah. I, I was asked to teach uh, some co radio broadcasting courses at a community college in, I think it was uh, the fall of 2012 or 2013, something like that. Uh, so I, I, I taught uh, some broadcasting, uh, writing for broadcast and some other courses at Durham College. In Oshawa. Yeah, that just popped into my mind, or head rather, I was thinking. You were also a professor for a short time. Yeah, uh, Durham College, and then for, I guess, a couple of years, and then uh, I taught for a semester at Humber College uh, in, in the broadcasting program as well. Very nice. And Richard, what got you interested in, in talk radio at all? Was there a certain show or well, host? What was it? Yeah, I, uh, I'd have to say my actual uh, initial game plan after graduation was to pursue a career in television documentary. I had, I had done an internship at a documentary house, a TV doc house in Toronto and quite liked it. And I thought that's what I was I was going to do. And um, after my internship ended, I... I received a call from a classmate who was working at CFRB. I think she was in the newsroom and she said that the station was looking for a call screener, uh, which is um, what they call an on-air producer. They're, they're the ones that are responsible for lining up the calls when 
for a talk show. And uh, so I applied, got in, and I started working with Ed Needham, who was uh, he was a fabulous broadcaster. He was an American. Uh, he was a real what they call a bloviator. He was very opinionated. He had a very an American sensibility. He rubbed a lot of the Canadian audience the wrong way. People either loved him or hated him, but he was terrific, and I learned a lot from him. And he was the type of broadcaster who he didn't need guests. He didn't even need calls. If he wanted to sit behind the microphone and talk for three hours, he could do it. And he had such amazing life experiences, and he was very compelling uh, to listen to. So that's, that was sort of my entree into talk radio, and, and uh, I found uh, I found him to be so engaging and compelling that I thought, wow, there's something to this talk radio. and. Uh, from there, I started working with John Oakley, who at that time was doing a late night overnight show. And uh, he brought in such an amazing cast of interesting characters and guests. Um, and I, I started uh, working on that show. And that's really, I think, what, what uh, clinched it for me uh, was it, it was a very, it was a magical show. One minute he would have, um, I don't know, let's say the mayor of Toronto on. And then in, in the next half hour, there would be. Um, someone who claimed that they were a vampire hunter. Nice. And, and then he would bring in a, a it would be a live musical band. It was just, every, it was all over the place, but it, it was, um, it was so captivating. And I think that's really when I decided, uh, talk radio is really, um, I don't know. I just, I found so much uh, of the, of the musical type programming was so, kind of formulaic and it really didn't appeal to me. I mean, the idea of sitting behind a microphone and, and queuing up records and, and, uh, reading a rehearsed ad lib and giving a temperature and a time check and back selling the record it just didn't seem to be anything to that. Nothing creative or imaginative. Right. And, and, um, although, you know, the, the having said that the, the DJs from the 1960s, you know, those jocks were, fantastic like the wolfman jacks i agree those guys and they a lot of them they programmed their own music but of course that was a bygone era so for me in terms of radio the only thing that interesting that was happening was was talk radio and um so i i kind of hitched my wagon to john oakley star and we worked together for over a dozen years and i followed him around different day parts um there he went to seven to ten and then he did a mid-morning show uh, then he did the drive home show, and then eventually we moved over to an, another radio station, uh, Mojo Talk Radio for Guys, AM640, and um, we started the morning show there, and that was great fun for about six months. And then the, the format changed, and um, it wasn't so much fun anymore, but I kind of stuck it out for a few years, uh, then went back to CFRB to do my own show, um, basically Monday to Friday. It was uh, the same type of program I've been doing really for, for 20 years. Very nice. Very nice. For me personally, Richard, what got me really interested was the very famous show Loveline. I heard that show growing up on the radio as a kid, and I enjoyed listening to Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. Sadly, I'm not a fan of either one anymore, but I'm sure oh. they won't lose any sleep over that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I enjoy, uh, Adam Carolla. I see him occasionally on, uh, on Tucker Carlson and I, I, I like his punditry, if you will. Um, I, I do, I vaguely remember that show. Um, 
Uh, Art Bell, of course, was another right. uh, another huge influence, as he was for many of us. I've always said he had that that kind of persona and delivery that I could have listened to him read from the phone telephone directory. Uh, it was that good. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Very uh, excellent broadcaster. And by 2009, you joined Zoomer Radio, that's 7.40 a.m., out of the great wide north, where you reside, my friend. You were already putting out some great shows way before that, and by this time, your career, you're, you're pretty much polished at this time. Then you get the call to become a guest host for Premier Radio. That's um, in 2014, right? Uh, my first show with Coast to Coast was in April of 2009. and. Um, they, the uh, the Toronto affiliate at that time was uh, AM six forty, where I had worked previously. Uh, it was that it was called Mojo Radio at that point. Mojo Radio, okay. Yeah, and uh, when I worked there, and then it became uh, uh, AM six forty. I'm surprised and, I remembered any of what I just told you right now, even if I got it wrong. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I I I, uh, I hosted one night. Uh, I filled in for George Norrie on a Friday night in two thousand and nine. And uh, then I never, I didn't hear back from them for five years. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And I, I just assumed, okay, so they didn't like my little bag of tricks. Uh, that's fine. You know, I, I can always say I hosted coast to coast or guest hosted. And, um, you know, I was, I pretty much moved on to other things. And then in uh, January 2014, the executive producer, Lisa Lyon, called and, um, uh, it's been pretty steady since then and going on seven years, uh, usually three, sometimes four nights a month. I'll fill in as a guest host on a Friday or a Saturday or occasionally on a Sunday on uh, on coast. And um, it's an amazing, an amazing platform uh, and, a, and a huge audience. And uh, I'm so fortunate to have uh, to have that. No doubt. And I'll. Circle back to Coast to Coast AM in a second here, but before we do, I believe we have a call here for you, Richard. I think they might have a question. All right. Caller, you are live on the air. How's it going? Outstanding. How's it going there, Michael Deacon and Richard Serrett? Hey there. I have actually, you know, everybody always has their detractors. God knows Art had them. Um, I'm sure Michael has them. I have them on my small YouTube which I like having. Um, but the the thing about it is, you, I think, continues on in a different manner uh, than Art did. Don't have the same deep voice. Your mannerisms are different. Uh, but it was such a big improvement from uh, from what we have what we saw with George Norrie. And I'd like you to address, not not like you're down-talking George Norrie. I'm, I'm never, you're never going to get I'm, me to do that. That's I'm, true. I mean, I'm, yeah. George Norrie has been sure. incredibly yeah, George Nori has, kind, uh, paid kind his dues. and gracious and supportive. And, yes. and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't for a moment entertain any any negativity towards Mr. Norrie. No. And, I, and I'm not saying to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying... Um, you added something during your tenure, um, that he didn't have. Um, I don't know if you were less controlled. I guess this is my question. 
Do you? Did you? I'm sure you get a lot of this, by the way, Richard. No, actually, like I, I don't. I mean, I um, um, everybody, no, nobody is trying to be Art Bell. I'm, I, I'm the furthest thing from Art Bell. I, I had a, I got into some hot water because I had a program director, uh, at a station, who, who said I'm Canada's Art Bell. He didn't mean literally, you know, I'm as good as Art Bell or I'm the next Art Bell. You got he heat for that, Richard. A little bit. Oh, I was, my. He was, he was making a comparison. He's saying Art Bell did what he did, and I'm doing a similar thing in terms of the type of a show, right? Uh, and that's all he meant. And so, um, you know, I, I use that quote from time to time. Sure, sure. Uh, not claiming it for myself, but saying this is what a program director said about me. I'm Canada's Art Bell. It's, it's like an elevator pitch. If you're trying to explain to somebody, well, what's your show about? up here in Canada. Yes. And so you would say, well, what's the easiest comparison? Well, think about Art Bell or think about Coast to Coast. That's the kind of show I'm doing. We call that the elevator pitch. You compare yep. what you do to something else that they'll know and then immediately they get it. Right. So that's so mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, not a lot, but people were saying, oh, he thinks he's Art Bell. Of, of course not. I, you know, I'm not Art Bell, never tried to be Art Bell. Um, and everybody who who guest hosts on Coast to Coast whether it's, um, uh, you know, well, Jimmy Church just finished his tenure there, he just but stepped he's gone to other things. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. He had something that he brought that was different. Dave Schrader before him, um, Lisa Gar, Connie Willis, um, you know, George Knapp, of course, is a, is a phenomenal uh, broadcaster. Ian Punnett, they, they all bring something different. That's why they have us on Coast to Coast. You know, nobody's trying to be Art Bell. Um, and George yeah. Norrie is, uh, he's in the position he's in and he's been there now almost, I think, closing in on 20 years, 20 years, right. Be- because he has a likability and because people identify with him and he's, they, they listen to him, uh, and he's like their friend or their uncle or their brother or whatever. Uh, and that's that kind of skill you I don't even think you can learn it. You just, you either have it or you don't. And George has it. You can't argue with that kind of success. Now, does he have his detractors? Sure. I have my detractors. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there. We all do. Uh, yeah. Who don't like my act. And that's fine. Um, but you know, I, I, as I say, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to be part of that coast family. And, um, um, I admire and respect them all. And I, I, I don't, we don't get to hang out because I'm in Toronto and they're in LA or I think Connie's down in Kentucky and I, Ian Punted is in, uh, is in Kansas. So we're, you know, we're separate, we're all scattered across the continent, but there is kind of a, you know, a, a, a I don't know. I, w- I don't want to overplay it and say a familial bond, but um, it seems you know, like you guys, a, a, yeah, you guys a mutual are mutual respect. Right. And uh, you guys and, have a good friendly rapport. It seems. Yes, yes. I, I mean, Good. I have nothing but, yeah. but uh, fondness and admiration for all of them. I honestly wasn't trying to say that uh, George was less than or anything. That's okay. I said, That's okay. I, I, what I was trying to say was you, Ian Punnett, um, um, several other people that were on there, excuse me, um, they were less... There wasn't so much control, and it wasn't from Nori. What I was trying to say was, with George, it seemed like um, a certain topic, like Art Bell would never tolerate anybody 
uh, filtering his language. And I know you wouldn't. I also know that Ian Punnett would. You guys brought up some explicit topics and thoughtful topics. But George, there was something that happened once the firing from, um, uh, now he has Caravan Midnight. I can't think of his name right now. John B. Um, Wells. John B. Wells. Once he got fired, George really changed that. And I'm, it's not a dig. I'm not trying to dig. I'm not going to detract from any of you. George, and he, he has his strong point, just like we all do. And we also have our weak point. My question, really, I would have been able to get around to it, which I am now. Thank you, Michael, for this. Um, did you feel like you were, during your tenure, that was my point, like you were being edited or told, can't talk about this issue, uh, you can talk about these? And, and that was a real question. And I know it was a big question on Belgab. And I'm sure, you know, Asuka Langley and everybody else who was on Belgab back in the day, we all know, you know, what we thought. And I was just trying to ask honest answer of it. And I'm not, I don't want you to drag him. I'm not going to drag him either. He's, he is what he is. He's a good dude. I don't think he's anything less than that. And, uh, you know, that was my question. Hopefully, I synopsized it better than I did as we were first talking. You have to remember, I'm calling in on great Michael Deacon program, and I'm probably a little nervous. And this is a sword point. Okay? Well, if your question, as to your question, have I ever been told this I can talk about and this I can't talk about? No. Uh, in fact, the exact opposite. Um, coming from Canada, we have... Let's just say we don't have the same, um, the same love. I, I, I don't want to say obsession, uh, but we, we don't approach freedom of, of speech in the same way. We, we, we simply don't have freedom of speech to the level that they do in the United States. And so actually it was quite the opposite where I would, I would suggest, or I would say something to, uh, to Lisa Lyon, the executive producer. Is it okay if I, you know, can I talk about this? Uh, and, uh, she said, well, why not? And I, I just found that so refreshing, but I've never throughout my career really been told, you know, you, you can't talk about this. You can talk about these things. Here's a list of a pre-approved topics. That, that it doesn't happen that way. What might happen is after I do a show and I'm talking about up here in Canada, not coast to coast. Uh, you know, I'm, if something, if the program director heard something or somebody would call and complain, he would ask me about, you know, what was said, what happened? Let me hear this. Let me hear the tape. Um, you know, and then we would discuss, well, how could we have handled that differently? That, that sort of thing, because we have to be one thing I'm always cognizant of. And that is, uh, you know, I, one of the things I, I, I won't talk about is, um, you know, Holocaust denial. I just, I won't have that on the, on the program. And, um, if people say, well, why not? I, you know, I, I don't apologize for it. I don't even discuss it. It's just a hard and fast rule I have. Now, um, uh, aside from that, you know, 
pretty much anything goes. One of the things I do, and I, again, I'm sort of, I sort of self-censor on Coast to Coast because I'm a Canadian and that's largely an American audience. It's an American show. And I feel sometimes like I'm a bit of an interloper. So while I am, I'm a very political person and I have my, my views, when I'm hosting Coast, I try to stay, I try to stay, uh, stay away from uh, getting too uh, embroiled in politics. Again, simply because I don't think it's appropriate as a Canadian weighing in on, on, on U.S. politics. Um, I, no, it's, I, it's probably happened from time to time. I got drawn in a little bit, but for the most part, I, I try to stay away from it. And um, no, the other reason is I think during I, these, these times, there's so much divisiveness. I think people uh, look at coast to coast as a bit of a, uh, they're getting a reprieve from that. It's an, it's kind of escapism. You know, it's like, we know about COVID. We know about the election. Can I just have my four hours of, you know, things that go bump in the night and UFOs and near death yeah. experiences. You know, I, I, I sense rightly or wrongly that that's, that's what the audience wants and that's what they need. Look, Richard, there, I will tell you right now, you achieve that epically. Um, you were one of the best hosts besides Ian Punnett. And, um, I, I do have a certain affinity to the other host, but I, I didn't really want to go in depth on him. But you guys actually did follow what I thought Art did. Art got into politics tangentially. It was not, um, full on. I'm this, I'm that. He, I think he mentioned he was a Republican one time. And the entire time I listened to him when I was a federal uh, agent. And I used to listen to him on stakeouts and all different kinds of things at night. Matter of fact, I was in Boise, Idaho. And I, I was at uh, Gallon Field, which one part of it is sort of like um, Germany. You land there, there's a certain air base that you have, like a civilian side and a military side. It was the same kind of thing. And um, so on Gallon Field, that was the night Art Bell, who was uh, doing the show that Willie Strieber took over, it was called Dreamland. That was the night of the Phoenix flight. And um, so that that was pretty interesting on how. I think you, Art, um, and even George had broken things live in real time, just like they did the Phoenix Light. So I, I can't hate on any of you guys. There's real stuff that had to be talked about. And uh, I remember one of the times I listened to you, I always thought you were a... Uh, and, and that's honestly, and I probably put you in a bad position. That's honestly why I had to ask you this question because I thought, and I still think it. I think you're a, a real, a real deal fan trying to just get out the information that you know or you or you've heard. And it's not about editing yourself over a pocket. That wasn't where I was going with that. I was just saying about discussing topics 
that maybe were taboo. Yes, thank and you. Honestly, yes, we appreciate your call, far. by the way. All right. Yeah. No. Thank you. No. Again, as I say, I've never, I've never been told I couldn't talk about something. Uh, I've made guest suggestions and and um, I've been told, well, we just had that person on, so we don't want to bring them back too soon, or you know, for whatever reason, well, we've had that person on before. They really didn't work out well. That's about it. I get kind of editorial calls in terms of you know how to make the show better or, or, or what have you, but I've never been told you can't talk about this. It's actually quite the opposite. It's like, you know, Lisa will say to me things like, you know, hey, loosen up. Come on. Of course you can talk about that. And I I, re- I truly appreciate it. It's one of the things I love about the United States is the, the freedom of speech, uh, right? Freedom of speech and, and how passionate uh, they are about it. And I wish we were far more so up here. Imagine if you would talk more candidly about some of the things that are on your mind on Coast to Coast AM. I'm sure you would get plenty of backlash. I mean, the things I say on here, and it's a small show, I get complaints all the time about myself. Oh, you, 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 can't, do talk, you can't do a talk radio show without getting complaints. Um, for me, and I, I suppose I could you know, go on there and, and talk politics, but I just, again, I don't feel it's appropriate as as a as a canadian like, citizen yeah it's like I I, see. I'm, a, I'm a guest i'm a guest host and i'm an interloper i'm a canadian so you don't want to rub and, anyone the wrong way well i don't want i wouldn't appreciate let's say someone um let's say for example on my sunday night show i have from uh-huh. time to time um had guest hosts fill in for me and um one was an american and uh you know, I wouldn't appreciate it. I don't think my listeners would appreciate it if he were to come on from an American perspective and start, you know, chiming in on Canadian politics. Um, so that's that's just the approach that I take. That's just me now on my own show and on my podcast. Yeah. You know, I, my my politics are pretty well known, and I don't shy away from it. And I and you know, um, but to me, I own those shows; they're mine, and I I feel I can do with them what I will. Correct. I feel you on that. And Lilith in the chat room says, Richard Serrett is the best of them all. Well, she says the best of them, but I'm sure she <laughs> meant the best of them all. Well, thank you, Lilith. That's very kind. Yes. And I actually feel the same way. I think well, not just because you're on the program and I'm talking to you in real time. I've always felt you were pretty much the closest thing to probably Art Bell. That's high praise. Indeed. I appreciate that, Michael. Um, as I say, though, I'm, you know, I'm, you have I'm your own Art style, Bell, though. I, yes, I, I know. No one can, no sure. one can replace Art Bell. I'm with you on that. I've been compared to him as well, and I say no. I'm sorry. I, I have my own style. Exactly. I respect him, but we have different styles, and art art's in his own in his own lane in his own world. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And by the way, you mentioned Jimmy Church. And he stepped down. What do you make of that, Richard? I thought that was kind of bizarre. I have no idea. Um, you know, I, I guess he's just, he's on to other projects as far as I know. Strange. I no it's just, I thought he was doing so well on Coast. Everyone seemed to like him. So when he stepped down, I was just a bit surprised. I actually thought I would, he might have been perhaps even someone that might even be considered for the main chair one day. But then again, Richard, I've always been on your side. I always thought, no, I think Richard truly deserves the main chair. If it ever happens, I think it's Richard, no one else. But that's just my opinion. 
I'm only being honest here. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of you. Uh, George is not going anywhere, and I wish him many, many years. Uh, I hope he continues. Uh, but I, I really don't know what uh, what happened to Jimmy. Um, uh, I, you know, he has his own he has his own radio show out right, of L.A. Right. He's or, doing his own thing. Uh, on 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 a, a podcast, and I think he does some television and so forth. I'm sure he's very busy. Oh yeah, why why is everyone that has been involved in radio in the radio industry why is everyone trying to be a TV guy? It pays better. <laughs> it just pays better. <laughs> That's part of it. Yeah. Well, um, in my case, and I, I think it's the same for a lot of broadcasters. Um, it's not necessarily something you actively go looking for. It's a very strange business. You, you really can't go looking for it. Uh, you can't sort of just, unless you're, you know, you're, you're, you're blessed with all the things that I am not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a tall, dark and handsome guy. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not leading man material, (laughs) So it, unless you have those attributes, you know, you're not going to go to Hollywood and, and just make it. Yeah, get the lead role. So right. people have to come, come to you. So I get approached from by producers and uh, people that are the heads of development at production companies wanting to do a project. And they tend to, to gravitate towards uh, people in talk radio a lot. Um, number one, because we – you know what it's like you in live radio you don't work with a script so you've got to That's right. you have to have your wits about you um and it that requires a particular skill uh, it's not the same not to uh devalue um people in television but, um and i mean they're working from a script and that that's you know and they have to they have to lift those words off the page which is a a, a tremendous skill um but if they're if they're if they're looking to do something like a reality TV or you know like a ghost hunter show or UFO type program, uh, they're looking for people that can sort of speak extemporaneously and um, uh, because there is no I mean reality TV is scripted a little bit but it's primarily it's unscripted that's that's called unscripted television so they come looking for for broadcasters and. Uh, uh, that's the way it's always happened for me. Um, you know, I get, I'll get an email and someone will pitch me on a show and maybe we'll shoot a pilot and maybe it goes somewhere. Maybe it doesn't hope for more the best and not it. Yeah. You, well, yeah. And more often than not, it doesn't go anywhere. I've learned that over the years. It's going to be hard to do the whole elevator pitch nowadays with COVID and, and everything going on. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I was in consideration for a, a series recently, and um, that seems to be the holdup right now: is uh, travel restrictions and COVID. Right. So, I'm sure I'm sure that'll hopefully uh, sometime after the election. I suspect uh, things will change somewhat. Um, if uh, I well, that's a whole other kettle of fish, but. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to go go we'll down go, that road. Yeah, but in I, a second here, think, we will in a moment. Yeah. But I did want to just quickly ask you your opinion on female broadcasters. It seems like there really aren't any in the radio world. It seems like the best ones will make that transition to uh, television. Um, hmm, good question. You know, is this is going to sound strange? But go I ahead, don't Richard. Listen let to, it rip. Go ahead. I, I don't. I don't listen to a lot of radio. Um, 
aside from, you know, I listen to Coast to Coast and uh, when I'm not hosting it, I'm, I'm listening to it. Um, I would probably have some difficulty, you know, na- compiling a list of male or female broadcasters these days. I don't listen to a lot of local radio here in Toronto. Um, so, you know, that may or may not be the case. Uh, I know a lot of the, I, I, I like to call them bloviators. These are the, uh, the, um, you know, the commentators, the talk radio hosts. There are a few women, um, I, that I've heard. Um, but a lot of them are, you're, you're right. They're male. Uh, a lot of the political pundits are, are male. I do, uh, on, I think she's still doing radio, Laura Ingram, uh, right. who's on Fox TV. I think she's a, a terrific broadcaster. Um, who else? She's not very Dana. popular, though, for some odd reason. I don't know what her numbers are like on Fox. Um, oh, well, on Fox, she's doing great, but in terms yeah. of you know radio, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I, I, don't, I don't know what her ratings are, are like, but um, um, yeah, who else do I listen to? Um, well, of course, ex- we have we have two we have two yeah. female uh, two women on coast, Elisa and uh, and Connie. So that's true. It's just it's a rarity, in my opinion. Uh, it may or may not be. I, I I don't know. As I say, I don't listen to it enough uh, to be able to, to tell you one way or the other. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna also ask you. You don't really listen to anything on radio currently, right now, right? Um. Like I said, I listen to Coast. I listen to at night. Uh, we listen to um, Jim Bo, um, Bohannon, as uh, a conservative talk show host. Um, and I, I, I listen to a lot of uh, or watch a lot of YouTube. Doctor Steve Turley. Um, now that the you know following the election in the U.S. pretty closely, I, I follow. Uh, a YouTube channel called Red Politics, and um, I don't even know his real name. He's a, a young man, and he he uh, he analyzes the um, uh, you know breaks it down sort of state by state, kind yeah. of congressional seat by congressional seat. I, I I enjoy politics. I love listening to those types of shows. We're almost there, Richard. We're almost politics. there. Yeah. We're almost there to um, that portion of the program, but one more before we wrap up radio talk here. And um, by the way, just to mention a female that was very popular, and I don't watch her show or anything, but I know this little fact about her, Rachel Maddow. She was actually a broadcaster before she made the transition to television. That's kind of the example I was trying to throw out there in my mind. So not right, very many, right. but yeah, on, the, the best, on MSNBC. Yeah, the, the best right. ones always make that jump. But yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sean Hannity uh, is, you know, primarily radio. And then I don't even know how that guy does TV. it, by the way. Radio yeah, and, just, and a popular he's TV show. The clock. Yeah, I don't know a, either. I don't know either. The man's a workhorse. And I don't even like Sean Hannity, but I respect him <laughs> as a broadcaster. Sure, sure. Nothing but respect for Sean Hannity. And now as we wrap up the radio talk discussion here, uh, Richard, I got to ask you this. If Sirius XM approached you, would you make the jump? And they and, it, and it's an exclusive contract away from Coast and away from the podcast and away from everything. It's just Sirius XM and it's a seven-figure contract, maybe even more. <laughs> would you do it? Be honest. Well, 
I, yeah, I mean, I, I have to be sensible. I mean, there we uh, go. I, I love, I love coast to coast, but it's, uh, if I were given an opportunity to do something full time, uh, for that kind of money, I mean, I have a family. Hell yeah. Uh, it's expensive. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But I, you know, that <laughs> I don't see that on the horizon. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed there. Never know. So, Richard, as as you know by now, the world has been at a standstill these past several months. We are currently seeing a meteoric rise on COVID cases in the United States and around the world. The UK is also preparing to go on yet again another lockdown, another shelter-in-place session. And, uh, Richard, what is the scene out there in Canada? Well, uh... Cases are on the rise. Uh, in Ontario, we're hovering around 900, 1,000 cases a day, and they just, they, the media reports them every day, um, as if cases are infections, which they are not. Um, you know, the COVID test has a lot of, a lot of problems. Right. We know about the false positives. Uh, we know that if your T cells destroy the coronavirus, the, the test will pick up the remnants of that virus. Uh, it amplifies the virus so that it can detect it so that if you have a very low viral load, such that you would be totally asymptomatic, uh, it will register as a positive. So, uh, and they, of course, they don't break this down. All we hear are there are 900 cases. Uh, so it's time to, you know, to lock down, it's time to, to shutter restaurants again. It's, time to shutter indoor gyms. And this to me is just a very bad policy. Uh, cases do not equal infections, even in the United States. Um, mortalities are down. Hospitalizations uh, are down. And there are some hot spots here and there in the U.S. Um, but, but I think we have now enough indication from, you know, countries that have tried uh, – lockdowns, tried to wear masks, tried to institute these types of policies. The virus does what it wants to do. Uh, you have Sweden where, you know, no masks, uh, no lockdown, children in schools, and, you know, they seem to have it under control. Uh, in other words, the virus is going to do what it wants to do. And this self-inflicted wound that we're suffering uh, in, in, in Canada uh, our 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 uh, liberal government here has placed us in a trillion dollars in debt. Uh, they have spent two years worth of an entire federal budget in one year, uh, $500 billion. And my great-great-grandchildren will be paying that off. It's, That's true. Uh, it's, it's absolute insanity uh, what's happening. And um, I'm very disappointed in the way that the mainstream media is simply carrying water uh, for, uh, for governments, in provincial, municipal, federal government in Canada. Um, even the opposition parties are not pushing back. They're just kind of going along with this. And it's, uh, you know, the abuse of civil liberties. I had, a, I had a constitutional lawyer on my radio show last night talking I heard about that. this, and he's launched a civil case. Uh, yeah. Um, Rocco Galati, who I think is just uh, doing tremendous work, but he's he's one lone voice crying in the wilderness. You know, where are the the civil liberties associations? 
Where are the opposition parties raising a hue and a cry? They're none to be found. Everyone is just rolling over on this. And it's it's very disturbing and very disheartening. He was animated last night. Oh, you heard it. Yes. I heard yes, it. Yes, he was. Yeah. Indeed. I loved it. Yes, he was. It was good. And I understand people are frustrated. I understand people want this to be over. Unfortunately, a virus doesn't go away because of your feelings. That's just not the way it works. That's the unfortunate truth. And I'm frustrated too. I hate wearing the mask. I think it's silly. I see people driving alone in in their car and they're wearing a mask, Richard. Yeah, that uh, I don't know (laughs) when I see that, whether whether I'm I'm amused or Uh. uh, disappointed or a little bit of both, I suppose. Uh, But that's what fear does, right? It's a great motivator. And uh, unfortunately, I think that is in large measure what what is being done here, that this is something that is being weaponized. Uh, not that there isn't, you know, a virus out there and, and it is unfortunately uh, killing uh, people that have in, in most cases, the vast majority of cases, two, three or even four comorbidities. These are very vulnerable uh, people. Um, every, you know, Every death diminishes us all, but um, uh, it is being used as cover uh, for some other means. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that is, whether it's the Great Reset we've been hearing about right. from the World Economic Forum. Um, governments, they, you know, they are, they are synthetic beasts. They, 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 they exist. Um, to, to grow and to multiply. They're almost like a virus themselves. That's true. Uh, bureaucracies and so forth. And so it's just kind of, it's human nature, I guess. Um, when, you know, that old saying, you never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, here's a crisis and they are certainly seizing upon it um, for whatever end. I'm not sure. I have some ideas, but, uh, you know, nothing that could be proved definitively. Uh, but it, it's, this is, this is not just about, a virus. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And to round the table yet again here, Quebec and Manitoba and Winnipeg, it seems like all these places are headed for another lockdown. Health experts are concerned about the quote unquote third wave. So restaurants will be shut down shortly. I'm not sure if it's already happened, but that's the last thing I read, Richard. Yeah. Well, here in Ontario, we're in a modified stage two. Uh, I'm living in an area called York Region. Ah, And uh, actually, the York York Regional Council was to meet today um, to determine, you know, when they're going to open things up again. Restaurants are closed for eat in, for dining in. Uh, Gyms, I believe, and and, uh, other types of, uh, you know, there are other restrictions in place. So, I'm guessing that they'll probably kick the can down the road and extend it for another 30 days. I don't know. They may have already decided to do something different. I haven't heard. Um, but again, even in these other, um, in Quebec and these other places, we're talking about cases. We're, uh, we're talking about, you know, positive uh, tests. The more people you test, the more cases you're going to have. But they're not infections. Some of them are. Um and, and uh, to me, again, the, um, the overreach and the reaction um, has, has been completely overblown. You know, it's interesting, and, uh, and uh, Rocco Galati pointed this out on my show last night. Um, 
There are no flu cases. No flu cases, right. He did say that. Right, which, which, and, and I've heard similar things down in the United States. Now, normally this time of year, we would have tens of thousands of flu cases. We would have some deaths attributed to the flu. Right. Uh, and so I'm just wondering if they're rolling all of those flu cases into COVID cases. Mm, yes. And by the way, do you get a flu shot? No, I don't. Good. I'm glad um, you don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, uh, no, I, I, I would never, I certainly wouldn't try and talk someone out of it if they felt that they, that, sure, that, that's, sure. that's what they should do. But for me, uh, and I'm not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer entirely. One of the, I am seriously contemplating getting the, the shingles vaccine. Uh, I had, I had chicken pox late in life and, no uh, kidding. so I'm susceptible to shingles and my mother was 95. She had it a couple years ago. Oh my. It was fairly mild, a mild case, but for someone of her age, it was, it was kind of problematic. And, um, it's not something I want to go through, you know, later on in life. That's so pretty I, might consider the, yeah. I might consider the shingles vaccine. That's pretty but, extraordinary. Uh, um, Richard, how old were you when you got the chicken pox? Uh, I think I was around 37, 38. Oh my gosh. So you were like yeah. a full adult and, oh no, Richard. <laughs> Poor Richard. Now yeah. I feel so bad for you having to yeah. deal with all lots that of, nonsense. Lots of oatmeal baths. Oh, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Poor Richard. Um, well, the corona, well, the science, this is what the science says. Well, and I'm going with the science here for a moment. The coronavirus is no ordinary flu. Uh, you know, anything with an HIV homology is nothing you should want to flirt with. Now, Richard, you're a smart man. We both aren't kids. I know. I, well, I don't know what your immune system uh, looks like, and I doubt mine is bulletproof either. Uh, would, do, would you have enough money to cover your medical bills if, in fact, you do contract the virus? Well, I'm, for all I know, I'm, I may have already had it. You think you already had I have, it? I, my immune system is is pretty good. Um, even at my advanced age, I take pretty good care of myself. I eat I eat very well. I I take uh, you know lots of supplements and and um, you know I, I I take long walks. Uh, I can't remember the last time I was sick. I had uh, some bronchial pneumonia a few years ago, uh, probably six, seven years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, aside from that, uh, you're good. I don't, I do not worry. Okay. Uh, you know, I wash my hands, you know, fastidiously. I, um, uh, you know, I, I'm careful. I, we, I, but I've always, I've always been that way. I've always been not a germaphobe, but I've always, you know, we, it's, it's pretty easy to avoid, you know, you wash your hands and uh, yeah, if you can't physically distance and I, you know, you wear the mask, I suppose, but I don't know how effective it is. The science is all over the place. It's a little that. up and down. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just worry when researchers warn that so that some rather COVID-19 vaccines could increase the risk of HIV infection. So when I read something like that, I think, well, why the hell would I, why would, why would anybody want this virus if it has anything having to deal with HIV in it? And furthermore, I had also heard and read uh, multiple articles about the flu shot also making you susceptible to COVID-19 infection. Well, I've, I've read that as well because, yes, um, a lot of the, the flu vaccines, I guess, um, They'll use animal, uh, animal tissue, dog tissue, and they're full of coronavirus. So I, I don't know if, if that's true or not. Um, I, I've, uh, I've talked to, uh, John Rappaport about that and, um, 
uh, he's a pretty respected health uh, reporter. He definitely has his own views, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, oh, yeah. he he certainly seems to think, based on his research, that that's the case. Uh, that in that a lot of the the coronavirus infections in northern Italy uh, could have been attributed to the flu vaccine, and but I I can't say for sure one way or the other. Yeah, that's the problem. This is so new; no one actually knows for sure. But I can say this: I actually like a few things this pandemic has brought forth, Richard. And I'll be honest; I've learned many things during this entire experience and i still am learning from all these things one of those things that i truly like is the social distancing rule uh, you know richard I, I always dislike people getting way too close to me in line i never like that people <laughs> close to my face talking to me richard a man or woman i just never like that well yeah there, per, your personal space is one thing um but you know I, I, I will never, ever embrace this idea of the new normal. I don't uh, want the yes, new normal. I don't either. Uh, I, you know, we've been shaking hands for, for 3,000 years, and, uh, you know, I intend to go back to shaking hands as soon as, you know, there's a willing, a willing partner who's, you know, says, oh, no, we're, we're good for that. We can yeah. shake hands. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, I, I'm, I want to go back to the old normal and as soon as possible. I like the old normal. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not the most gregarious person in the world. I, you know, I, I work from home and in, in my little studio beneath the stairs, but I do crave from time to time some human interaction. And, um, it, we are, you know, we are not a species that is meant to be, uh, you know, locked down and locked away and isolated in this way. And, uh, we are, we are creating some long term, um, I think, psychological, emotional, spiritual wounds, uh, with our approach. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I've said it many times, but it, it, it was apparent to me as early as March that the, the prescription was far worse than the disease. And uh, Richard, since we're talking about the vaccine as well, as you know, it's been mutating. Do you feel comfortable taking the vaccine? I don't know that there could be a vaccine if they haven't uh, isolated the virus. Um, and again, that there's some conflicting reports on that. I know that Sunny, a team from Sunnybrook Hospital claimed that they they isolated it. Um, now, I, Rocco Galati, who is um, a lawyer, and um, he, he's, he's read this very carefully. He says, well, that's what the headline says. But if you actually drill down, no, they haven't isolated it. So there are these two camps, one that insists that they have and the other that insists that they haven't. Uh, and if they haven't, then it's if they haven't uh, identified it, isolated it, and replicated it, pretty hard to develop a vaccine. And don't worry about the keys being played in the background. They can't hear that, by the way, Richard. Okay. Don't, don't worry. So, yes. Uh, the my boy's hard at work upstairs with their piano lessons. Yes. They're doing a good job. And the race for a viable vaccine has been underway. Multiple people have died during the early trial. And, you know, I'm perturbed by the fact that this vaccine will be used on senior citizens first. I feel like they are being used as the sacrificial lamb, Richard. Uh, I'm, I'm no doubt that they will, uh, it, it, once there is a, va a vaccine, that they will, um, yeah, they'll try to push it on, on seniors. Again, right. they'll use the fear factor. Uh, they, they, they won't stop. They'll, they'll utilize coercion, anything they can do. There's talk of... Uh, a vaccine passport. If you don't have a, a vaccine and That's it's right. not stamped in your passport, you can't get on a plane. I, 
I really, um, I hope people, you know, um, rise up in unison and engage in some, uh, some civil disobedience and, and put a stop to this nonsense. I'm not overly optimistic about a tangible vaccine as we had just talked about the COVID-19 mutating and it's been mutating for, I don't know how long now. And it makes me think, Richard, that perhaps they're going to use COVID the same way they use the flu, where it seems like every five to seven months, we're going to have to start getting uh, vaccinated all over again, since no one really knows how long you'll be immune uh, once you do take the shot. Uh, all good questions. No, I would. I, I, I doubt very much that they'll... Uh, you know how big pharma is. There's no money in for a cure. No, that's true. That's true. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, in terms of it mutating. I know I've, I'm hearing that. I'm not convinced. You You're know, not convinced. Saying, oh, we're in a second wave and a third wave. You don't buy it. I don't you, see, you think it's no, all bullshit. Well, I, I don't see... It's okay to I, say I, so. Yeah, I, okay. I don't see the data that would suggest that we are in a second wave, let alone a third wave. Here in Ontario, anyway, I can't speak about what's happening in Europe, but here in Ontario, yeah. again, we're talking about cases, not infections, uh, not people on ice, you know, in ICU or on respirators or people dying. Um, the data simply doesn't back that up. And, um, you know, epidemiologists I'm, I'm following and, and reading, uh, do not see it intensifying. Uh, if it is mutating, it's, they don't see it in, mutating in that way that it's, you know, that it's becoming more deadly. If anything, it seems to be petering out. Understood. Which and is the way many viruses behave. It's true. And I'm just curious, what's your take on journalism over the last four years? <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> I knew uh, you'd say at, that. At, at least in terms of the, uh, the mainstream media, um, they have totally lost the thread. They have, and I, they have, uh, they have doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down uh, because they realize they've lost the room. Uh, they have lost all credibility. I mean, there are a few good ones out there, but by I'm speaking in, very, in generalities. Yes, here. sir. Um, and I, 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 I see the rise of the citizen journalist and small independent um, organizations as as our, our salvation, really. Uh, as for the, you know, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the CBCs, uh, they are fast approaching irrelevance if they're not there already. Uh, I know people that have YouTube channels that have bigger audiences, uh, and they will, uh, you know, th their business model is failing, deservedly so, and hopefully they will be replaced by, uh, these small, hungry, um, independent news services and um uh so good riddance i say i love that but yes just to clarify things for the newer listeners just jumping in here in case they are you're not an anti-vaxxer i just want to throw that out there no um you know i i t i would take it case by case i think the vaccine schedule uh that is recommended for children is over the top uh, I know in the, in the United States, uh, it's even worse in, in terms of the number of vaccines on the schedule and the timing um, of the vaccines. And every year they keep adding more and more and more to the schedule. Um, no, I'm not anti-vaxxers, uh, an anti-vaxxer. Yes, uh, but um, 
you know, I, I need to be sold on its efficacy and its safety before I'd be willing to consider it. And before we move on to the election here, uh, do you have any, any opinion on Dr. Fauci and what he said in terms of returning back to, I guess, normal? It won't happen until 2022, he says. Yeah, I, I think his time is up. Um, I, I think I think he got into trouble very early on in the game when, like a lot of doctors, he was kind of chasing his own tail. Masks are ineffective. Don't wear a mask. Sure, wear a mask. Go ahead. No, you must wear a mask. Uh, I think he's lost the room as well. Well, there's reports that he might be fired if uh, Trump is elected. Well, he mentioned uh, Trump. Uh, someone in the uh, at, at the rally, I think it was in Florida, kind of uh, shouted out "Fire Fauci!" and uh, Trump said, "I'll consider it maybe after the election." And by the way, I think I do have a clip of Fauci talking about the mask. Well, I thought I did. Oh wait, I do. Here we go, Richard. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask when you're in the middle of an outbreak. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some much sort of staying uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course, and- of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers. There you go. There exactly. you go. Yeah, so that's that's a little odd. And Richard, here is that clip of the fire Fauci. Rounding the turn. I say it's, it drives him crazy. It's rounding the turn. Because all they want to do, you turn in the news, COVID, 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 COVID. We'd like to talk about COVID. And then next turn. Here's what happens. November 4th. You won't hear too much about it. You won't hear too much about it. That was pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, a lot of enthusiasm. Don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election. I appreciate the advice. So obviously, Trump supporters are very, very rowdy and uh, excited. And Joe Biden, his supporters there, well, I'm not so sure. No, uh... There's there's virtually no enthusiasm for Joe Biden. None. He's kind of a he's a placeholder, uh, and so the Democrats unfortunately are in a position where they're not voting for Joe Biden. They're voting against somebody. So when you're in that situation, you're not really motivated. Uh, when you're not voting for someone, you're voting against them. Uh, that's not a great motivator in terms of getting out to the polls. And I think that's ultimately going to be uh, the undoing of the uh, of, of the Democrats in this uh, this election. That's right. I could be wrong, but that's that's my sense of it. As you're fully uh, aware, it, my country faces quite the choice, and the stakes are much higher this time, Richard. The results will no doubt define this country's uh, next generation as well as yours, most likely. Oh, no question. This is the most important election in the United States probably since 1861. That's, the stakes are that high. It's pretty wild. 
pretty wild. And I'm in California. I'm not a registered Democrat or belong to any political party. I prefer being a lone wolf, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so you're uh, you're an independent. Correct. Right. Yes, but yeah. I I like to stick with the facts, you know, and I just never really liked the uh, the Democratic Party. Well, they're not your dad's Democratic Party or your not granddad's Democratic Party. Far this from is it. not the uh, <laughs> the party of Hubert Humphrey uh, or uh, or even Jack Kennedy. Uh, this is. Uh, I mean, there is just simply no common ground uh, between the Republicans and the – I mean, Bill Clinton was a, a tax cutter. Um, you know, Jack Kennedy was a tax cutter. They, uh, the, the Democratic Party is unrecognizable as far as I can see. And Richard, of course, if you were living in America, I assume you would probably be voting for Trump. Yes, Yes, I can say that with uh, with 100% certainty. Well, I'm glad you're honest. I mean, most people are afraid to even admit that. Well, that's the other interesting thing. And that's why when you look at the polls in the United States and you have polls uh, showing uh, Biden up by 8% or 10%. I saw one poll that had him up 16 or 17% in Pennsylvania. Uh, and then you, you, you contrast that with the uh, the rallies. It's like, well, don't believe your lying eyes, right? Uh, all of the metrics or the um, the uh, indicators, aside from these media polls, point to, I think, a Trump landslide. Now, you know, that may come back and bite me in the ass tomorrow. <laughs> right. Um, you never know. I, 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 the, um, you mentioned, you know, you were referring to something called the, the shy voter syndrome. Yeah. And the only poll that has sort of figured that out is the Trafalgar group. And they ask people very cleverly. You don't ask someone who they're voting for. You ask them who their neighbor's voting. And uh, so the Trafalgar uh, poll was one of the few that got it right in 2016. Um, and and I think all the uh, the media polls, the ABC, the CNN polls, they're all they're making the same mistakes that they did in 2016. And um, at, at least that's what I'm counting on. Um, and and that that. Uh, those polls, they're 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 not reaching the Trump voters. Here's Number some, one, they, they don't answer the phone. Number There's a two, right there. they're too busy. They're working. Or number three, they're not going to answer honestly because of a social um, acceptance bias or whatever they call that. They, you know, they're afraid to be doxxed. They don't want to identify themselves as a Trump voter. Yes, and we were talking about the psychological effects of COVID-19, but there's also been psychological effects uh, during this whole uh, election. Uh, going back to 2016, we've seen all kinds of people have these mental breakdowns. We're seeing this today. We're seeing people quit. Uh, they're quitting. They're quitting completely um, talking to their neighbors or friends or family members over who they're voting for. It's, it's tragic. It's, um, I call it a non shooting civil war. Um, instead of, instead of, uh, pitting North against South, it's, it's family member against family member. That's interesting. Don't you, don't you think that's kind of, um, bizarre? It kind of has me perturbed as well. I'm not sure what it says about my country and society. Well, I think we all are maybe a little guilty of, of, uh, ceding too much emotional space to politics. Um, you know, I think we have to relearn 
some of the social graces and the idea that you can you can disagree about politics and still be civil and friendly. I agree. Um, I yes. have probably most of my friends are of the liberal persuasion. I'm not going to unfriend them because of that. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, if they take offense because of my political views and they and they decide that uh, you know they're going to walk away, well, that's that that's that's sad. But it's quite um, sad. Yeah. We, we, it's just politics, folks. Now, yeah. granted, there's a lot at stake here. A lot at stake. I think the future of the United States is in the balance here. Um, if we go down, you know, one road leading to socialism and Marxism and, and anarchy on the one hand, and, uh, uh, or the other choice, I think, is, is continued prosperity. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, um, the resurgence of the nation state, uh, which is, I, th I think the right direction. Um, but I would love to see a viable, you know, democratic party, uh, as an alternative, having a one party system is, is, is not healthy. Uh, and I suspect if in fact there is a red landslide, uh, that maybe that will be what it, what is necessary to provide the Democrats uh, sufficient motivation to sort of engage in some serious, uh, in-depth self-evaluation about how far they've drifted away. Uh, they're, I mean, they are now the party of big tech, Silicon Valley, Wall Street. Uh, they are not the party of, you know, the middle class. They're not the party of the, of the, of the worker, the laborer. Uh, they've lost that constituency. And, um, yeah, the, the United States needs a minimum of two parties. So uh, it, it distresses me. I, I don't, I don't uh, take glee in, in seeing the demise of the Democratic Party. Understood. And I think everyone, everyone can agree with what you just said. You were spot on with your analysis there. And furthermore, it's just odd seeing people judge others because of their political party. But as you said, this is a very different party. And again, Richard, this is a fine example of what happens when companies, major companies, become bigger than than government. Um, well, that's certainly uh, you know part of it. That that that's nothing new. Um, you it, know, corporations yeah. and and their influence over the political process. But corporations are people. But we've never uh, seen it like really. this, though. I mean, uh, with Google, I mean, they are titans now. Amazon. It seems like they are running the show. Yeah, big tech is this is a this is an existential threat to democracy. Uh, never mind Russia, Russia, Russia. The real political and election interference is happening. You're right with big tech, uh, Facebook, and, and censoring uh, a political discourse. That's right. When corporations become bigger than government, Richard, that's what we are seeing right now in 2020, and that will continue um, until we are both dead. Well, or unless, um, you know, the next president pulls a Teddy Roosevelt, uh, a la Standard Oil and smashes, uh, some of these, um, companies into a thousand pieces. We'll have to wait and find out, Richard. Yes, we will. We won't have long to wait. Yes. And Richard, as we come to a close here, is there anything that we, that you think that we should have covered that wasn't? You know what? I think the, the only 
two stories, and they're somewhat intertwined, are, are COVID and, and uh, the U.S. election. These are monumental stories, and um, you know, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about them. Me too. Well, Richard, I really enjoyed our conversation. I know your listeners will really enjoy this episode as you opened up and talked very openly. I know my listeners will really enjoy this, especially those that listen on the podcast and that drive around. They really like that. And my goodness, this was a great episode again. And I really do appreciate your honesty. I think you're a tremendous show host. I enjoy your show greatly. And I wish you all the very best in all your future endeavors and Wish you and your family perfect health, and we shall talk again. Mr. Sarah, thank you so much. I want you to be safe out there, and um, let let the kids know that we, we couldn't hear them playing piano, even though I wish we could. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Michael. And uh, I'll just um, remind people they can go to strangeplanet.ca strangeplanet.ca everything is right there my all the show info on my radio program my podcast my youtube channel they can subscribe to my newsletter strangeplanet.ca very nice once again thank you so much richard i will talk to you on the other side my friend okay michael all the best thank you hang tight and mahalo and there he goes boys and girls the one and only mr richard serrett and i want to thank all of you out there for being here this evening it was fun i want to thank all of you in the chat room i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did and of course don't forget if you are a fan or yes a newer listener and appreciate the show and like what you just heard and you want bonus material please direct yourself to patreon.com forward slash michael deacon and that is where you'll find bonus material international listeners out there thank you so much for your support as well Love hearing from all of you out there, and we will return very soon. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island Earth. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.